right. Well, thanks everyone uh, for joining us today. This is the Flashpoint Podcast. I am your host, Owen Higgins. Uh, it is Thursday, August 25th. Uh, this is kind of a little hastily thrown together uh, episode here. Um, I know that earlier in the week I had said that we were going to do Owen and Aaron read the news with Aaron Thorpe. That's been pushed back to next week. Uh, instead, I have a different Aaron. I have Aaron Naraf with me today. Um, you'll remember Aaron. He's a member of the Kristen Gonzalez campaign. He's been on the show a few times. Uh, he's going to talk to us about how they did it, how they uh, steamrolled Elizabeth Crowley, basically, like won by over 20 points. Um, just a really strong showing there uh, by, uh, you know, I, I think I think what could be fairly described as really a grassroots campaign here, uh, outraised, outspent, but um, yeah, like the uh, the outcome was 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 pretty solid, um, and 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 a real just uh, a real strong showing not only for Gonzalez and the politics that she represents, but also for uh, DSA. To show kind of, I think, how how strong uh, their uh, particular brand of politics is. And so we'll get into that, certainly. I do want to just update people on some other of the New York races in case you haven't been following. Um, and we did talk about them earlier this week. Uh, so in New York's 10th, uh, it looks like Dan Goldman, uh, the conservative uh, Democrat uh, beat Yulene No in the primary there. Uh, Yulene has not conceded yet. I've talked to a couple people on the campaign, and it sounds like they want to wait for, like, there's something like ten to 13,000 um, absentee ballots still outstanding. Uh, whether or not, you know, uh, you know, most or even like half of those will, will, will come in is, is obviously an open question. And she is about, uh, 1,306 down right now. Uh, so it, but it is possible, I suppose that she could make up that, that, uh, difference. So I think that that is why, uh, they're holding up. But for now, uh, AP has called it for Dan Goldman. I guess we'll just wait and see what happens. Obviously, um, I'm not going to pretend that I'm a neutral observer here. I would like it uh, if if you lean one. So we'll see what happens on that one. Um, in the 17th, uh, Alessandra Biaggi, one of Yulene knows uh, allies there in the state legislature, uh, got pretty thoroughly wrecked by Sean Patrick Maloney, the kind of slimy uh, right-wing uh, chairman of the Democratic Congressional Com- Campaign Committee, uh, who who um, basically kind of made sure that Mondaire Jones ran in the New York 10th, or or maybe he didn't make sure, but it was certainly convenient for him that that happened. Um, he ended up uh, winning 66.7 to 33.3. Uh, Nadler, Jerry Nadler, beat uh, Carolyn Maloney, both incumbents. That's New York House District 12. Uh, he won 55.4% to her 24.4%, just an absolute smackdown there. Um, so... Those are, those are some of the races that we were talking about uh, earlier in the week. But uh, in the state Senate race, uh, District 59, uh, Kristen Gonzalez up against Elizabeth Crowley, uh, the I believe the sister or the cousin of Joe Crowley, who was defeated by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez back in 2018, so famously. Um, and 
Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, Gonzalez was outspent. She had to deal with a candidate who was, uh, for, for a while, was competing for the same voters, kind of on the left, although that candidate did eventually drop out and endorse Gonzalez. Um, she, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll, we'll, we'll get the full numbers from, from Aaron, but from what I saw, I mean, this was a pretty, uh, a, a, a pretty effective win here. I mean, uh, over 55 point, uh, percent of the vote, um, and, and just a real, uh, strong showing here, not only for Gonzalez, again, like I was saying at the top of the show, like not only for Gonzalez, but also, uh, for, the politics that not only she represents, but also uh, her supporters represent. This kind of grassroots energy that went into this race, uh, the the just you know knocking on doors, uh, small dollar donations, up against a New York political machine candidate like Crowley, um, with with all the other challenges that they had, and they were still able to bring this one out. So I'm really happy to have Aaron Naraf, uh, one of the volunteers on the campaign to join us again. Aaron, thanks so much for being here. Um, as I was saying earlier, I mean, you must be uh, feeling pretty, pretty relaxed right now. Like, like you, like, you know, maybe uh, things have chilled out a little bit since, since Tuesday night. Uh, how's it going? Yeah. You're still muted right now. There we oh, go. Nope. Yeah. There we go. Perfect. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so how's it going? Yeah, thanks for having me on again. I feel like I'm a regular on this, uh, podcast now uh which is which is great i'd love to be i can finally be a podcaster like i was um destined to be after my initial uh encounter on this podcast <laughs> there you go yeah totally but I, I i'm feeling pretty good of course i think you know from the moment i mean i'll tell you where i was when i found out that we won i was sitting polls had just closed at 9 p.m on tuesday um it, we had just convinced i was there with sammy namir olivares who ran for state assembly in brooklyn he was out uh with us at cleaver's houses in long island city getting the vote out for Kristen. and we sammy had just convinced a voter uh at 8 57 p.m to go vote she ran in to go vote uh 9 p.m hits i think i'm like trying to fiddle with my laptop to get it working on the ground I'm sitting on the ground trying to open it up to the results. I'm like fiddling with my, my phone cause it's, it's dying. I'm like 2%, I'm like a total mess. I had a pretty like okay to meh day at full site visibility. Uh, so I wasn't sure how we were gonna do. And then it loads like 9 15 PM. I see we have over 50% in the early vote. The early vote comes in, I see we have over 50%. I'm like, all right, we won. I'm gonna like scream cause I'm that excited. And from that point on, it's just been like a roller coaster of just like, good vibes and like knowing that we've won and just seeing the margins come in and the data and looking at where we did well, where we didn't do as well. Um, but mostly where we did well, because we did well almost, every, almost everywhere. Um, so I think it's, it's just felt really good for the entire team. I think everybody is super excited for what's going to come next. A lot of energy that's really well needed right now, I think, um, after some of the disappointing results in June. Um, I think a lot of folks really needed this. Um, not just from our race, but also from the two races in the Bronx, Gustavo Rivera and Robert Jackson, state senators, winning. Uh, it's been really great to see. Uh, Jerry Nadler winning has been great. Um, and even the close race in New York 10, while just disappointing, you know, I'm, I'm a big fan of Eulene. Um, still, still good to see that it was as close as it was. Um, so a lot of good results. And Kristen, I think, was one of the highlights uh, for me. So uh, feeling very good. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, um, 
you, uh, I believe it was you, you posted a video, I think, of Kristen trying to get like voters all the way to the end as well. Was was that you? Comrade. Was that somebody Comrade else? Comrade Eric Thor, I believe. I love him. He's a, uh, another Queen's DSA person. Uh, that was a really great video of her just standing on the sidewalk, 8.40 p.m., 20 minutes left to go. You can't do anything else but just talk to the remaining people in the street and just ask them to go vote. And maybe you get only one person, maybe you get only two, but every vote literally counts. Um, and I think that's what I saw so amazing when Sammy got that one person to go vote. Like you can literally, while it, it can seem very daunting, even getting one person to go vote can make the difference as we've seen in um, previous races. Um, and Kristen hustles. Kristen fought for every single vote, um, both personally and everyone on the campaign fought for every single vote. Um, and the one interesting data point I'll mention uh, is that I saw a tweet thread from somebody pointing out that Crowley's TV ads were still running with 20 minutes left to polls closing. They ran with five minutes left to polls closing, and they kept running in the hours after polls were closed. Which I think is just completely hilarious um, that the real estate pack uh, backing her uh, totally, uh, I don't know what they did, but somehow they forgot when the polls closed and just kept running, running ads even after it was literally impossible for anyone else to vote for her. Um, so while Kristen was hustling, trying to get votes in the street, uh, Crowley's folks were busy trying to run more TV ads. I think it's just like a wonderful distillation of the race. Yeah, they really, they, they, they maybe, I mean, maybe they were trying to do it as a victory lap, right? They were expecting maybe that they would win, uh, but who knows? I mean, I think you did say though, I mean, I, I find that kind of interesting. Um, and, and I'm kind of interested here to get into some of the details about about the race here. Um, you, you had said, I think, the last time or the second to last time that you were on that Crowley's ground game was really good. Um, so how were you guys able to, to kind of push back against that with the pack as well? Like, you know, like there was all of this money and somebody with, uh, I think you said, like the second best ground game. So... Uh, like, like, I mean, did you just kind of flood the zone with people? Like, what, what was the plan there? I think ground zone, I think you're referring, uh, ground game, rather. I think you're referring to um, uh, spending, I believe. So I think you're referring, am I correct in that? No, I think, I think you had said that their ground team, like, like, the, like the door knocking team was good. No? Maybe, um... maybe I'm misremembering that. I, I, I might have said, I don't know if I said that, because I honestly think she had a very weak ground game. Like, she had paid canvassers, but they were, like, very, the canvassers themselves were very easily persuadable to Kristen. Like, they are just trying to make a little money. Um, so that in itself was, was not a problem. I think like, my main fear, I think, was that they were going to pay a lot of, maybe what you, what, what you heard, is that I thought they were going to flood the poll sites with people. Like, they were going to have, like, 10 people at a poll site. Like in the Sammy Namir Olivares race, they had like a lot of people at the poll sites. So they really pulled everyone they got, uh, they could. Um, in this case, it was it, it was a fair amount of folks. It was a lot of Crowley's personal family. Like I spent the day at Kingsley houses with Crowley's sister, um, and a bunch of really nice firefighters who were really chill, and uh, did not hand out flyers until Crowley's sister showed up, which I think that was totally hilarious. Um, uh, so I think in that case, uh, the, the people they they paid or were volunteering or her family, um, while some of them were effective, like I think her family were pretty effective uh, persuaders in a lot of ways, I think it just wasn't enough to compete with the energy, the natural energy of our volunteers. Um, 
And of course, like we, I think we definitely had more people than they did. Definitely brought more energy and more infrastructure. Like we had tables, we had tents set up, we had uh, we had snacks for people. Like we had a lot of things going on that made us more appealing than just like a person standing there handing out literature. Um, that I think made us look a lot more appealing. Um, I think that we had some other natural advantages as well. You know, even before election day, we had, like you said, a, a ton of door knockers. We knocked, I think the final total, I don't know the exact number yet, but it's going to be around seventy-five to 80,000 doors, I think. Um, and so we knocked a massive number of doors and in some areas, we, you know, especially in Manhattan, um, we, we tried our best to get to people multiple times, uh, as well as uh, an area like Astoria where we needed a lot of votes to win. So uh, Astoria and Stytown, which is like an apartment complex in Manhattan, we did, I think, like three or four passes, meaning that we knocked on every person's door in our universe uh, of, pe of people we're trying to contact. We did it like three or four times. Uh, and you know, that's a lot for three months. Like that's a lot of times we're hitting people. Um, and each time you, you hit somebody like that, you, you're really reminding them about the election. You're making sure they know about Kristen. Um, sometimes they might get annoyed and be like, hey, I'm getting like a million texts and calls from you guys. And that's, that's always okay, because that means you're doing, you're doing a good job. And even if one or two people are like, I'm going to vote against you because you talked to me too many times, like whatever, that's fine. Because you're going to get 10 other people who actually are voting for you because they saw your face and your name. Um, and going into election day, I think one of the top fears we had was that because Crowley's pack, which, you know, she, she herself says she has said she's raised $650,000. We know that she had at least three packs on her side that were running, um, that were running ads uh, and sending mailers against us, uh, backed by real estate, Republicans, Trump uh, mega donors. Um, so a lot of really nasty people in New York politics. Um, they ran uh, at least $400,000 of ads. So a total is a million dollars worth of ads and mailers and things like that. And our main fear was that that would overwhelm, overwhelm us um, in our base. And I would, I would like encourage um, a more conservative electorate to turn out. It would sway a lot of the Manhattan voters who don't really know, didn't really know Kristen or Crowley pre-May. Um, so our fear was that all that paid, uh, all that, uh, that paid media would really overwhelm us. Um, but it turns out to not have quite been true. So, you know, if you look at the numbers in Brooklyn, we got over 80% of the vote, which is really remarkable. I think we're hitting with Julia Salazar and Emily Gallagher numbers in that area. Queens, we got two thirds of the vote, which is really amazing. Definitely, um, I would say uh, hitting Tiffany Kavan 2019 numbers, uh, if not slightly missing them. Uh, and, and Manhattan was the biggest surprise where we thought we were gonna, probably would win Manhattan by a pretty decent margin. But we held her to only a four-point win. She only won Manhattan by four points. So we got 40% of Manhattan, which is really amazing for a Democratic Socialist. Uh, and a lot of that was powered by our work in Stytown. We, we won this like pretty typically liberal apartment complex, a lot of older voters, all rent-stabilized. Um, but our messaging around around tenants' rights and rent, and rent control really resonated with them, and they turned out for us. Uh, I think I think the work that we did, uh, the Lower Manhattan uh, branch of DSA, and the work of the IAPA campaign and their volunteers really helped us uh, notch that victory. Uh, and I think in a lot of ways, it either um, it, I, I, it must have counteracted all that paid media. I think that's one possibility, uh, where you know you, you have like a real person at your door uh, two or three times uh, in three months talking to you about a candidate. 
uh, talking about the issues versus like a million ads uh, just with her name and like talking about rising crime or whatever. Um, and I think it's, in that case, a lot of voters went with the person who has the personal conversation. You get like a handwritten postcard, like that. The, the personal touches make our campaign more appealing uh, and our messaging more appealing. Um, the other option, uh, the other option I think, is that maybe Crowley's messaging just didn't work out for this district. Like even on the Manhattan side, where she was trying to appeal to, with her like tough on crime stands and uh, a lot of like very liberal messaging, I think it's also possible that it, it backfired and people just got tired of getting like literally a dozen mailers in three months from her, which is an absurd number amount of mail to send. Uh, probably more than a dozen, probably probably underestimating it, but just an absurd amount of mail seeing her face on TV all the time. It, 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 we talk a lot about congressional races where TV makes a big difference, where, where TV is the best way to get people to get your name out there and get out the vote. But I think in local races, it can also backfire really easily um, when the other side has a really good ground game. And I think in this case, um, a state Senate race of this size is probably an exception to the rule uh, where TV is king. I think in this case, it turns out that maybe digital advertising like we had, where we really talked about our Planned Parenthood endorsement to make sure that people knew that we were the only candidate in the race backed by Planned Parenthood, um, the only candidate in the race backed by um, uh, Moms Demand Action and you know gun sense groups, uh, making sure that Manhattan voters saw that and knew that we were the candidate for them and not Elizabeth Crowley, who's funded by real estate and Trump Republicans. I think that contrast may have worked well. Uh, and in, in, in conjunction with that, and once folks knew that her mail and TV uh, we're backed by Republicans. We got all these great articles written um, in the city by George Joseph about um, her mail and stuff being paid for by Republicans and real estate. Once people knew where their mail was coming from, uh, you know, it makes it, I think, less effective. And it, it almost um, uh, solidifies our messaging about her being trying to buy a seat with a million, with literally a million dollars of spending. Um, so I think those are two op two options, uh, maybe, and, you know, three, I guess, if you count the Planned Parenthood uh, and, endorsement as kind of a, a, a point in our favor. I, those are probably the ways that we tried to um, uh, tried to counteract all her spending. And I think, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I think it did pay off in the end with a 26 point win. Yeah. Yeah. So I think there's a couple things uh, to, to dig into a little bit there. Um, and, and I'm going to kind of ask you both of them at the same time, like kind of let you, you know, answer it how you want. You know, I think the first is that the, I, the ground game really does seem to have worked. And, you know, I, I realize this is anecdata, obviously, but um, I feel like the last two or three times that I talked to you either, you know, on the show or like in DMs, uh, you were in Manhattan knocking on doors. Uh, I saw a lot of people from the campaign talking on social media about being in Manhattan knocking on doors. Um, you know, you, you know, you're contrasting that with the, with the TV ads and with the mailers. And uh, I mean, I think, I think one could make, a case that that uh, this shows that that kind of you know volunteer power, volunteer turnout can really um, kind of outdo uh, that kind of spending. I'll be interested to hear uh, your take on that. And then also, uh, you know, it, it the Planned Parenthood endorsement is interesting. Uh, you know, you were saying that you were using that as as digital ads. We've heard a lot about. Um, uh, you know, especially over the last like forty-eight, seventy-two hours, about how uh, some some of the special elections that were that were won, um, or you know, or even where Democrats had a better showing against their Republican counterparts in more deep red districts, that uh, that for Democrats to be using uh, choice and abortion and you know, just like uh, like 
the right to privacy and the right to choose as uh, real like uh, pressure points, right, to hit on uh, while their out there campaign has been working. Um, I'll be interested. So I'll be interested to hear what you think about that. About like if it's if it's also a good tactic to use in the primaries. Um, because I, personally, I feel like I had uh, Yulene No uh, hit that a little bit harder. Maybe she would have done a little bit better against Goldman. Although there's also the other people in the race, and obviously we're going to also talk about that as with respect to your race. So so let's hold off on that part of it. But but as far as like the uh, abortion rights, and then also like just the, the general idea of people power versus spending power. Um, I'm, I'm interested what you think about those two things and, and how you feel like they had an effect on on the outcome here and had an effect on how, how the campaign went. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think on the first question, um, I think I mentioned it once, but I'll, I'll talk about it again. Um, the IAPA, sorry, Tupac campaign for assembly in lower Manhattan, which unfortunately came up short in June, um, a lot of that was driven, it was their fir- the first campaign of our lower Manhattan branch, which is a really powerful branch in New York City DSA, and they ran a fantastic campaign for IAPA. Um, and I think a lot of the, a lot, after that election, uh, instead of feeling demobilized, a lot of their volunteers felt really excited about the idea of winning uh, another race at Manhattan um, in when Kristen's district, you know, and when when Kristen's district was re redrawn in um, in May by a special master, um, not only did it go into Astoria, uh, and not only did it infamously go into Astoria, I would say, it also went into Manhattan, t- taking in neighborhoods like Stuyvesant Town, took in Kipps Bay, Gramercy, and Murray Hill. Um, those are not easy areas for the left. There hasn't there isn't really much precedent for a leftist candidate winning those areas. Um, you have like, you know, a little evidence like Siraj Patel when he ran for Congress um, in 2020, he kind of won some of those areas. Um, but besides that, you know, and also, you know, you like Harvey Epstein and the assembly, Brad Hoyleman and the state Senate were like liberal to progressive uh, members, but no real evidence for like a socialism doing well there. Um, but I think this election showed, and I think the leaders from the Yapa campaign showed that there is a lot of potential there. And I really want to give credit to um, Joe Winograd and uh, Andy Simpson, as well as Eric Weimer, the three uh, amazing comrades in Manhattan who from the area uh, and really know that area very well. And they hit the doors running for the last three months. And they did so much amazing work, specifically in Stytown, um, which was, we saw, and correctly so, as the area that we most open to our messaging and our policies. Um, and they convinced a lot of people. And, and even when people said they were undecided, I think at the end of the day, when they go to the polls, um, like, like I said, I think they have a choice between the person who's flooding their inbox and the person who, um, whose volunteer had a conversation at the, at the door with them. I think they're going to go with the, with the latter. Um, so I think they did a lot of great work there. And we, we could not have won this race without Lower Manhattan uh, really turning out to, to make sure that we, if not one Manhattan, came very close. And I think that in itself is a win considering the, um, you know, I, I think, I, I think Stytown is an interesting, it's, it's relatively working class for that part of Manhattan um, being rent stabilized and a lot of tenants. Um, the rest of, of that part of that area of Manhattan is very wealthy. Like Gramercy is pretty infamous um, for being wealthy. Kip, Kips Bay, uh, Murray Hill. And I kind of assumed that we, we would get destroyed in those areas. Like, you know, even though Crowley's a Queens person, her messaging is very like, standard, centrist to liberal, tough on crime while being pro-abortion, like kind of like the kind of candidate that voters there would like. But as it turned out, that was not the case at all. Um, the only neighborhood, the only neighborhood that um, 
Crowley got a majority in was Murray Hill, which she got 51% of the vote. Um, in every other area, you know, Gramercy, she won by about 11 points, but didn't hit a majority. And Kipps Bay, which is another neighborhood I did not think we would do great in, we actually got 41% of the vote and came within two points of winning it, um, which is really remarkable um, for us. So even in the in like those wealthy areas of Manhattan, we did well enough uh, to, to not get like destroyed. And I think um, holding her, you know, in the end, she only netted uh, less than 400 votes out of Manhattan, which is really, really bad for her. She, she needed it to be way higher. I just did, a, I did like a back of the envelope calculation just now. She would, she would have needed 80% of the vote in Manhattan to overcome our advantages in Queens and Brooklyn. And she did not get anywhere close to that, to that 80%. Um, and because we netted 3,000 votes each out of Queens and Brooklyn. So that combined 6,000 votes net from there and her negative, her 400 net from um, Manhattan just couldn't compete with that. Um, I think the reason we, we did as well as we did in Manhattan, I think, is is talking about the issues of the day. And I think that's both public safety and abortion rights. Um, with public safety, I think that this uh, this real estate pack or, you know, it's funny because they initially tried to brand it as like a union pack. There was an article written about the NYC forward pack. Um, they were trying to frame it as like, oh, the, this union is putting up six figures in, in support of Crowley with TV ads and digital ads and whatnot. Um, and they tried to frame that as like a, as a, as a union thing. Uh, and then it turned out when the filing came out, uh, two thirds of the money was from corporate landlords and Rebney, the real estate board in New York, um, really terrible landlords um, and developers. So it was really clear that they're trying to use the union connection as a facade to hide the true backing of the group, especially because Crowley's whole thing for the last couple cycles has been, I don't take money from real estate. Um, and yet she has this pack running $300,000 worth of ads uh, um, in favor of her. Um, and the ads never mentioned Kristen outright, but they always said, like, some candidates in this race want to defund the police. Some candidates want to do this while showing pictures of Black people committing, uh, allegedly committing crimes on camera. You know, just very, like, walking right up to the line of race baiting, you know, what, what they think would appeal to people. And I think they really miscalculated. I think, you know, it's possible it could appeal to the area where Crowley lives in Glendale, very conservative neighborhoods in Queens. It's possible it could appeal to some of the more conservative people in Manhattan. But I think your average Manhattan liberal, uh, after getting like 10 of these ads in a row, I don't think they were swayed by that. I think they kind of um, are not huge fans of Eric Adams and the way he talks about the city and, and, and uh, supposedly rising crime. Um, uh, well, crime, sorry, crime is rising, but not to the degree that the media says it is. Um, and I, I think that uh, that may have turned off a lot of Manhattan liberals. And I think uh, in contrast to that, we had a great op-ed published, uh, I believe in the Queens Post, about our public safety plan, where we really went to evidence-based solutions to public safety, investing in our communities, uh, gun violence prevention measures, um, things that are, are actually proven to, to work as opposed to Crowley's doubling down on quote unquote community policing, which she like her favorite term to use in all her mailers and stuff. But I don't think doesn't have a ton of evidence showing that actually is effective uh, in helping our communities. Um, so I think having that op-ed is really great to have and, and point to when folks ask about public safety, uh, which is honestly a much smaller percentage of folks who my experience talked about that um, when I was knocking doors, I, I didn't knock doors in Manhattan, actually. I knocked doors mostly in Queens, but I, I didn't hear too much about public safety. And whenever I did, uh, the people 
who I talked to were pretty swayed by my discussion about, you know, the police budget wastes our money and we're, we're trying the old system of just giving more money to the police and it doesn't work. We have to change something else. People were pretty convinced by that. And, and I think people aren't necessarily want, they don't necessarily want more police. Maybe they're told they want more police. At the, at the end of the day, they just want something that works. They just want crime to go down and they don't really care how we get there. I think a lot of them understand the police department is inefficient and, uh, and like often very brutal. So I think that was one thing we used in, in coupling with our, um, our mom's our mom's demand gun sense endorsement, which kind of showed that we were we were the candidate for that, especially in light of the Supreme Court decision on guns in New York City. The other part of that was, of course, abortion rights, the other result of, the, of our new Supreme Court. Um, and I think it's interesting in this race where New York is mostly a safe haven for abortion right now. Um, there are a few bills that we could promote, and obviously we talked about bills we want to promote that you know would, would require police to not work with other out-of-state police agencies to arrest people. Um, you know, we, we want to make uh, abortions covered by state law and by by healthcare. Um, those are all things that we talked about. I think one thing we really we really emphasized was our willingness to talk about abortion very bluntly. You know, we always say in DSA, free abortion on demand without apology. I think Crowley had to really catch up to that at first once the decision got handed down. Um, some of her initial literature, um, someone pointed out on Twitter, but um, the, her initial literature didn't even use the word abortion. It just said something vague about women's health care. And it was like really disappointing to see somebody not even want to use the word abortion, like slinking away from it. Uh, you know, and, and, you, and as a conser- conservative Democrat, it kind of makes sense for her to be um, uh, wary of using that word. But when Dobbs came down um, and she kind of pivoted to making abortion her thing, she had mailers of her like holding up signs and really leaned into that a lot and tried to make herself like the abortion candidate. Um, but we were the ones with the Planned Parenthood endorsement because they knew that we had the best chance to win, um, that we actually had a plan to make abortion uh, uh, free on demand without apology. And I think that we got we got that endorsement. We put it on digital ads on our mailers, and I think people saw saw it. And at the polls, we heard over and over again, folks saw the pink bug pink bug in our literature. They heard up Planned Parenthood, and they were like, "I'm voting for her because I I that's what I believe in." Um, and I think Crowley tried to catch up desperately. I think it's really funny how, you know, first she tried to Jeff Colton pointed out on Twitter how she tried to emulate emulate a working families endorsement by putting working families on, the word working families on her on her literature to try and like almost trick folks into voting for her and making she has working families party support. So yeah, that's that's, that's a pretty that's a pretty regular tactic I think in New York. Yeah, right? yeah. yeah. And the other moment that was really brazen was she just had a mailer with the with the Planned Parenthood um uh, 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 uh what do you call it Planned Parenthood sign behind her like and it's like very I've seen other candidates I think I think, I think and maybe Carlina Rivera did this with the New York Times endorsement. She just had like a, a quote from the New York Times and New York Times like huge on the mailer. So I think she kind of was trying, Crowley was trying to do the same thing with Planned Parenthood after we got the endorsement and we're talking about it um, uh, and our mailers and such. Um, but I, I mean, clearly it didn't work, but I thought it was really funny that she tried to trick people uh, with that by putting her face next to Planned Parenthood, hoping folks would associate her with that. Um, but you can't compete with the real deal. I think Manhattan voters and voters across the district, but especially in Manhattan, uh, voters who I would say are, are more typically more typical liberals, um, older folks, um, uh, more of that kind of like stereotypical type of like you know, um, they're high education voters. I, I think those I think those folks were definitely swayed by the candidate with the Planned Parenthood and Moms Demand gun safe endorsements because those aren't ones that socialists usually usually get. But the fact that we had them kind of showed and gave, kind of gave us credibility.
Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and I think that, I mean, it it it, it does it does show. I, I think it's interesting, right? To just uh, a slight digression here, but like just to, to think about how, like, you're very right about this. Uh, DSA and other progressive groups were so far out ahead on the messaging after Dobbs. Um, and the rest of uh, the Democratic Party, Democratic Party-affiliated groups, uh, were way behind, I feel like, um, refusing, like, like kind of caught up in this Frank Luntz idea of, like, you know, you just, you try and use as many euphemisms as possible so you don't freak people out by talking about, like, what exactly is going on. But, like, the reality is, like, people are, are kind of sick of that shit, and they don't really like it, that, that it, it feels deceptive, it feels like, like people are lying, um... And, and, and I hope that, you know, maybe politicians are starting to, like, wake up to that a little bit and maybe can actually start to address this stuff um, in, in, in clear terms, whether or not, you know, they think that people are going to like what they're saying or not. And so I, I think I, I, I agree. I think that that was uh, almost certainly a, a strong um, point in your favor, uh, certainly. So uh, I want to shift gears a little bit here um, and, and talk um, about... Uh, another aspect of this race that changed uh, near the end, and, and one of the reasons that I'm bringing this up is that during uh, the campaign, we did uh, like 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 you. I, f- I feel like you would say um, that you might have something to say about this after the race was over. Uh, so 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 now's your chance. So obviously um, there was another candidate taking the progressive mantle uh, in this race uh, for some time. Um, and, and, you know, we saw in New York uh, 10th where, again, Yuli No is, is still not conceded because there are all those outstanding votes, but looks like she's probably going to be beaten by conservative uh, Democrat Dan Goldman. If you look at that race, I mean, there's just like a bunch of people in here who should have dropped out and endorsed uh, Yuli No, like Mondaire Jones um, and, and, and Rivera there. I mean, like, you know, like, like they just didn't have a chance. So uh, there was really not a lot of utility in them staying in the race, um, especially when it became clear in the polling that uh, that she was really the one who was going up against the moderate, the conservative Democrat. Um, and there was kind of a risk for a little while of something similar happening in this race when uh, podcaster and, and uh, activist uh, Nomiki Konst uh, announced that she was going to run in uh, State Senate District uh, 59 and Obviously, uh, people uh, who have been following the show and have been following uh, this, um, this, this news story that we've been covering, uh, would have, first time you would have heard Aaron would have been his debate with uh, Const's uh, uh, communications, uh, then communications director, Walker Bragman. Um, and, and we've talked about it on, on a couple of other occasions. We had Dave Grissom to come on and talk about this as well, uh, just about like you know why uh, you would be running. Now, uh, in, in the waning days of the campaign, Kant did uh, drop out and endorse uh, Gonzalez, so was not really uh, a factor in the end. But it does feel a little bit like a lot of energy uh, was kind of spent uh, dealing with this other candidate uh, who, whose, whose reasons for being in the race were never completely clear as to like, like what exactly was going on. Uh, so, Aaron, how, how, how was that when she finally dropped out and endorsed Kristen? That must have been, like, a little bit relieving for you guys that you no longer had to kind of uh, think about, like, that aspect of the race. Um, do you think that it made a difference? And, uh, and, and, and what, what's, what's your kind of uh, 
take on it at this point now that now that now that you know now that Kristen has won and all like you know like like the race is over now uh so so where are you at with this now i have been waiting for this um i thought you might yeah <laughs> i have to clarify two things first first of all speaking only for myself not anyone else in the campaign i think now the campaign's over it's just just me i mean i was never i've never staffed just always a volunteer in the campaign but this is just me speaking at the, right now I also also want to say, you know, it, it is good. I am glad that Dominique dropped out. I think it's better than, it's 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 better than the worst thing she could have done. The worst thing she could have done was stayed until election day, but she dropped out on I think what, what it was like the first day of early voting. Um, people yeah, who were yeah, already voting that like day. That, yeah. yeah. So, not a great time to drop out, but you know, you got to give at least a little credit for dropping out. But I also say, in giving her that little shred of credit. I think the only reason she dropped out was because she realized that she was going to lose very badly, or if she didn't lose very badly, um, she would get enough of the vote to potentially cost us the seat or make it very close. And that would destroy her reputation more than it already has been, to be frank. Um, and I think what happened is just me speculating. I don't know. I don't know for sure because I wasn't there. But I spec- I'm speculating that that um, when she was approached by Senator Gianaris about dropping out, um, she in part wanted to, I think. And I think in the end, that, that was her way of like having her out and washing her hands in the final weeks because she realized she had no traction. She had no major endorsements, no major support, no volunteer base, no voter base, nothing. And I, I do not think that her vote total will be much higher than the final one is right now. I think she's at 1.5%, something like that. Maybe she gets 2 or 3%, maybe 5%, maybe max 5%. Actually, no, not even that, because Mike Corbett was the Manhattan candidate. He got, like, what, 6 or 7%. Maybe maybe 4% max she gets. And I, I think it w- would would have been just as embarrassing. Um, but she dropped out early, so you can at least say, hey, my low vote total is because I dropped out. You know, fine, whatever. But I think after my initial debate with Walker, I think, you know, we, we wanted to do that originally in the very beginning because majority report is a big deal. I mean, he has a large platform. We didn't want her to somehow get a few, like, other endorsements, and suddenly there are two major candidates in the race. We didn't want anything like that. So from the very second that majority reports aired that, aired that story, we were very public in saying, calling out her uh, and clarifying that Kristen is the candidate in the race. I think that was, like, really successful on our part. I saw across the kind of media landscape, everybody was talking about how Namiki was the potential spoiler and how she was kind of just like a distraction. Um, for the rest of the campaign, she was just that, a distraction. Uh, whether it was her uh, accusing us of various um, uh, untrue things, whether it was her uh, bull, uh, BS uh, clean campaign pledge, whether it was her, her oh, I can't remember all the things she did, but all these different little eruptions, uh, you know, were all sort of just like ultimate only distractions. Um, uh, and it helped Crowley. I can say emphatically it helped Crowley. Um, not a lot, but it, had, it did, and it had potential to, um, where you, you could see like, there are clips on Twitter posted at the dates where she's just like almost openly collaborating with her, trading praise with Crowley, um, giving her am- ammunition against Kristen, um, where there was that, you know, the infamous tweet, I mean, he keeps saying infamous a lot, but, you know, infamous tweet where uh, Crowley is saying, I stand with Maliki against Kristen's supposed bullying. So that was all ammunition 
that Crowley could use and maybe would have used if you know, Nikki had stayed in the race longer. Um, and the really terrible part here was almost immediately after you Nikki know, dropped out, that was when the mailers hit from, uh, I think it's called Voters of New York, which or it was Common Sense, or uh, Common Sense, I think. So Common Sense is the infamous, um, I, keep saying, I keep saying this word, oh my God, I'm going to stop, stop saying infamous. Like, <laughs> common it's, sense just, it's, just, it's, it's, it's one of these packs that, that, that has this like uh, replaceable name and then it gets recycled into something else and, and becomes something different. But like what they're using right now is they're just using whatever they can use to kind of uh, breed some familiarity with voters. Yeah. Right? I think that's what you're trying to say, right? Yeah, like, like, you know, and they're, they're you know, Stephen Ross, the Trump mega donor, billionaire, uh, and all these other real estate folks fund this uh, shady super PAC. And it just it just sends mailers since 2021, it's been sending mailers against any any left leaning or progressive candidate um, accusing them. It's all the same template, right? It's just all you support defunding the police, you're a socialist, blah, 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 whatever, whatever. Just, just the same stuff all the time. Maybe occasionally for flavor, they'll throw in like a BDS attack or whatever, but that's it. Um, and in this race, they tried something new and they were like, you know, this is a pretty left-leaning district. Um, uh, they, they had never sent mailers in Astoria or Greenpoint before. I, I, I almost thought they wouldn't even try, but uh, one of another person on the campaign, uh, a good friend of mine, correctly predicted that they were going to try and split the vote because Nemeki was in the race. And you had those mailers go out with Nomiki's face on them after she had dropped out, saying, and digital ads as well, saying, uh, go vote for Nomiki. She's the only socialist in the, in the, in the race with Bernie's face on it. Um, like, really tri- like sneaky stuff, especially after she had already dropped out. Um, and I, I think, this is my personal take, I don't know if anyone on the campaign would agree with me, but I, I think those mailers could have had an impact if Nomiki was actively at poll sites on election day. I don't think she would have been allowed a lot of poll sites. I don't think she would have had a very far reach, but she could have, you know, she could have swayed some voters. Probably not enough to shift the election, seeing our 26-point win. But, you know, in this kind of race, you don't even want the possibility of that. Um, so I think it's very... Yeah, and you, guys, and, and, and you guys didn't know you were going to win by 26 points, right? I mean, like, exactly. I, think that's, I think that's an important part of it, too, uh, you know, when we're talking about... because. Because right now we're just we're kind of airing like where you were feeling right at the time, and so like how you were feeling was was not how you're feeling right now in retrospect, where like you know that you won by a decisive majority. How you were feeling back then was how you were feeling like you know we already we're we're already going up against this establishment candidate with the with these super PACs behind her, and now we have to deal with this, right? Exactly, it's exactly how we all felt. And in the very beginning, when she when she got when she got a majority report, we were like, oh crap. That's kind of a big thing. I think, I think at least I was like, I don't know, maybe that, maybe she can get something from that. Um, but clearly, she didn't get any traction from that. Like, oh, I wouldn't say any, but almost no traction um, from that appearance. And it, was, it became very clear within like a few days of her announcing that okay, she's not a serious candidate. Um, but enough of a distraction to like be an annoyance throughout the entire campaign. Whether it's telling Kristen sarcastically welcome to Astoria, whether it's being a terrible person at the base, whether it's making weird subtweets and whatever and collaborating with Crowley uh, and making this weird clean campaign pledge, which is one of the funniest things that I've ever read. Um, you know, just total distraction, which is why I didn't really want to come on here uh, during the election after my first debate, as much as I like talking to you, Owen, I didn't want to feed into that narrative. This is a race uh, with, uh, with us versus Nomiki. It was really us versus Crowley. 
Um, I'm glad we framed it that way, and I'm glad uh, that when the Mickey dropped out, the final week could just be about us versus Crowley. I think that's what voters thought about when they wanted to vote, um, not any distractions with uh, bullying or uh, supposed bullying or whatever was Namiki was talking about. Um, so at the end of the day, like you know, she's dropped out. Um, uh, I, I, it's it, the other thing I'll note is I think it's very very funny how her campaign uh, from the very beginning struggled from struggled with a reason to exist. Right? I mean, the, the central theme was kind of always oh, we're the community Canada, but we didn't really define what that meant other than, like, you know, a general sense and, you know, kind of uh, uh, implying, you know, I'm Greek, a story is Greek, vote for me. Um, that was the implication, I think, in the community, community stuff, as I said before. Um, but besides that, on policy front, she didn't really have anything. Like, I, th- I think Walker Bragman was just, like, really passionate about COVID policy, so he, he, he kind of w- rolled with that, and, and Romiki kind of took that and ran with that for a little bit. Then when he left the campaign, which I still want to learn more about why he left the campaign, um, she kind of almost entirely dropped the COVID plan and nobody well, ever think, talked about it. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think she did kind of like before that. I mean, um, trying to like, trying to say this as carefully as possible. Um, I think that if you look at the way that she ran the campaign, um, when they came kind of out of the gate, it seemed like uh, COVID was going to be like the main policy that they had, right? Like, like that was the policy. Like, like we're coming out because nobody else is talking about this. And, and certainly Walker hit that really hard uh, during your debate uh, with him. And it, and that, that was just a couple of days after she announced, uh, like within a week, I think of, of that happening. And, and, and certainly, uh, you know, they talked about that a lot uh, in those, days but all but uh you know you're saying that it, uh trying to say this correctly so so the way that you're talking about like you're saying like you know after walker dropped out like they stopped um being like a a a, a covid focused campaign on policy but i'd argue that like they stopped pretty much after the first week like they just weren't really talking about it after that um and so obviously you know walker can talk about you know his experience uh, with the campaign, if and when he wants to, uh, I'll leave that to him. But um, I, I, I think it is interesting to kind of uh, to, to kind of put that in the right context because uh, it definitely did happen that uh, that that I mean he is very passionate about COVID and he was very passionate about it in that debate and then kind of after that it wasn't really used uh, too much uh, by the campaign, if at all, um, and things kind of turned into. Uh, just like uh, Nomiki talking about how uh, she felt like there was bullying going on and, and basically trying to ambush Kristen like at that debate, right? I mean, like that was like kind of, that became kind of the main focus of her campaign. And I, I would argue that's probably why she dropped out because like you can't really do that and maintain your reputation like you were saying, right? Right, right. I think that's, that's definitely correct. I would say the, the first week sounds about right to me. I think Walker was still like tweeting about it constantly, but that was about it. Um, and I, I think, I think all in all, it was a huge, I think a very online kind of thing to think, a very like online left kind of thing to think that voters' top concern is COVID or that voters will care about a COVID plan. And I'm sorry, but not a single voter in the district, I don't think, cared about COVID. Actually, the voters in the district who probably do care about COVID, I'm sorry to say, 
I mean, looking at our, you know, thinking about the kind of uh, things we see on social media and stuff, the voters who care most about COVID in the district are anti-mask and they're anti-vaccine. Though that's the real active base of people who really care about COVID right now. And uh, it, it like sucks to say, because they're wrong and they're terrible, but that's what it is. And there isn't a large base of people in the district, or I would say in the country, who really want us to focus just on COVID, COVID, COVID. It, it's not a thing right. that's which is yeah, which which is a policy and messaging failure, but it's not yours. It's not it's not the Gonzalez campaign's fault uh, that that happened. Like that's not of your course. policy and messaging thing. Of course, so, oh, of course not. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it was all an attempt, a really weird online attempt to like smear us as like, oh, you don't have a COVID plan, therefore we're better than you. After a COVID plan is like the standard, which but I don't think any candidate in the country had a COVID plan before. No, Mickey decided she needed one, or Walker rather decided that they wanted to have one. And they acted like it was like a big differentiation. It's just, it's just totally laughable. And I, and I hated it. In the debate I had, I had it to like actually take it seriously. And it was just like a laundry list of, of bullet points. Like that was not a real thing. And they got like one epidemiologist to say it was a good plan. Like it was a total joke. Um, so in the, anyway, then after Walker left, and, or the first week even, um, there, was, there was the bullying angle, right? And then they tried to see one other policy. The super, uh, like the super, I guess, like someone read an article about the Superfund site in Greenpoint, and they were like, "Hey, you know, let's go talk about Newtown Creek and like the, you know the, the the waste that's been in there." They got Stephen Donlinger, who I like a lot, um, and uh, Josh Fox, I think is his name, Steve Fox, I don't remember whatever his name is, that um sexual harasser or whatever. And they got those two to like do like a walking tour or whatever of Newtown Creek. Um, and the local elected officials, like Councilman Lincoln Wrestler, Assemblywoman Emily Gallagher, were like really pissed off. They were really upset at that. They were like, "You're just co-opting our neighborhoods, uh, our neighborhoods fight for your own political gain." And it's not even correct because we've already done a lot of the work to clean that up. And you're just like kind of using this as like a campaign issue, to kind of make that like, "Oh, I'm going to be the Newtown Creek candidate now because nobody gave, cared about my COVID plan." Um, and their actual event was like six people. It was it was really bad. It it, it was embarrassing. It was just the three of them and like a few other people. Uh, and you know, one Kristen volunteer went, and because there were so few people, they accused him of stalking her, which is just really hilarious. Like it's not your fault that nobody else went to your event, and you accuse the one Kristen supporter who went to the event uh, of being, you know, a quote unquote stalker because they went to your event that you publicized. So th- that was a really laughable part of that whole saga. Um, and of course that didn't work out either. And then, and then in the end, um, and even in her congratulations tweet for Kristen, her new top issue now, she said, she said, congrats Kristen by tagging the wrong account for Kristen. And then she said, uh, I look forward to working with you to like, make a rule where tenants near Superfund sites must be notified by their landlord about the Superfund site, which is like, you know, it's a fine policy. I have no problem with that. But to suddenly act like that's like your number one thing that you wanted when you just came up with it like a month ago, probably, it's just really funny to me because I kind of just like quickly seize on talking points, discard them, seize, discard, which I think is the mark of a kind of like vanity, individualistic campaign where she's outright saying constantly, I am independent from any special interest or, or any group, which is not what you want. You don't, being independent from real estate is good. Being independent from, uh, from corporations is good. Being independent from a movement is not good. It means that you're just gonna constantly come up with random crap to talk about that you think is important, but not that anyone else thinks is important. And because they were an individualistic, individualistic campaign, 
they thought that things that the, the five of them in a room thought were important, they thought that that was what they would need to talk about. When in reality, if they were in an org like DSA, they would realize that there are issues that about uh, rent, rent control, uh, the BPRA, New York Health Act. There are things that thousands of people are mobilizing for, and they and they would want to be part of that. Instead, they wanted to just do their own thing and you know be like I am the only candidate who who's talking about this to make themselves the center of attention as rather part of a a bigger movement. Because our, our campaign, the Kristen campaign, was never about Kristen. It was always about um, the people behind Kristen, the people who are uh, supporting Kristen and the movement that that is that recruited her is now going to put her in the state Senate uh, in January. Um, it, no, Mickey's campaign was never about any of that. It was always um, not a serious campaign. And I think in next time, if No Mickey ever enters her office again or tries to like re revamp her image or anything like that, I hope folks don't forget. I mean, I think there's obviously always room for anybody to um, reflect on their actions and apologize for how they behaved. I would love to see some genuine apologies from uh, Walker and Omiki and other folks on the campaign who behaved in really nasty ways, uh, Doreen, whoever else. I would love to see some like genuine apologies from them for how they behaved and act as wreckers. But uh, barring that, I hope that folks on the left do not forget this happened and, and, and keep this race in mind um, not only when Nomiki comes to re revamp herself, but when other spoilers try to run in races. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, well, that's a uh, that's pretty thorough. Um, I think uh, what you know, just the last couple of minutes that we have, why don't why, why don't we uh, switch back to something a little uh, more positive here, um, and just kind of like you know what. Uh, what Kristen is is thinking about now uh, going forward, and and I know that you like you're no longer going to be volunteering for the campaign, or you will be. Um, I, it, it, I, I'm not sure like like where where you go next, or, or if there's anything to to talk about there. But um, just if you could kind of give us like a general sense of of uh, you know what's what's coming next, where where things are going, and and and. Uh, and, and, and what the future holds for, for both of you guys. Yeah, I mean, obviously we're all, all taking a break at this point, you know, after this really long election cycle, um, we all deserve a break, I think. Um, but after that's over, I mean, I think I'm still going to be volunteering on the campaign. We still have the general election where we will have a little, if any, opposition. Um, and it should, should, will be a clean ride to November. Um, but I think it'll be important to, to, like, work in the places that we didn't win and, like, building up our support there. Um, and talking to those community leaders and other folks who both did and did not support our campaign and like really um, reaching out to them and like uh, to work with them. So I think that's going to be important over the next few months. I think um, on the DSA side, it's going to be important for us. We're going to have a meeting on Tuesday where we kind of reflect on the campaign and talk about how we're going to move forward. Um, we, we, we're going to want to think about our uh, continuing our electoral strategy over the next few months. Um, where we want to go for the upcoming cycles, um, who we want to target, um, and uh, how we build our capacity into different parts of Queens. Um, you know, originally, in the, uh, one thing I, I regret in this district, not, not that I had any control over this, but the original district they proved for us was a plurality Latino district that, that got a lot of very uh, interesting neighborhoods in Queens, Richmond Hill, Woodhaven, Ridgewood, places where we have some base, but it could have built a lot of stuff down there if we had that district. Unfortunately, 
they redrew the maps and we ended up with a majority white district with Astoria and Williamsburg and Manhattan, which is still a great district for us. We still won it, obviously, but I, uh, I always think about even when we won uh, that night, I was thinking about what it would have been like to like work in those neighborhoods, uh, majority of color, more working class. It would have been great to really build up uh, something there um, with, a, with a Latina candidate at the helm. But I hope in, in the future cycles, we think about how we do that outreach in areas like Richmond Hill, Southeast Queens, Eastern Queens, um, Corona, uh, NYCHA, a lot of areas where DSA is not as strong and areas we want to build up a base. I think that's what's been important for DSA as a whole. Um, as for me, I, uh, I am starting uh, full-time work on Monday at a mystery new job that uh, I, I think we'll, uh, I'll be uh, talking about more soon. But um, I'm just very excited to uh, start start work out of college um, and enjoy the rest of my summer. Only a few weeks left, but hoping to have some time to enjoy that post-campaign. Awesome. Well, Aaron, uh, thank you so much uh, for coming on again uh, to give this uh, kind of, uh, you know, uh, post-campaign uh, breakdown of stuff. Uh, just really, really interesting always to talk to you about, you know, uh, how, how the campaign runs and, and, and your perspective. Uh, hope, hope that we'll continue to chat with you uh, as things continue. Um, and obviously, uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you on social media here just before we wrap? Answer now. Talking my brand. Oh man. Well, <laughs> well, it's, it's not so much that. It's just you know, like like yeah. people are gonna want to follow you and find out. Yeah. So uh, I appreciate it. I know. I think it's funny. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. Um, at Aaron Narath on Twitter. So my first name and my last name N A R R A P H at Aaron Narath. Um, if you want to read more of my hot takes um, and more of my DSA tweets or spreadsheets, and I'm, I'll be I'm working on a spreadsheet of our results. So if you're, if you're the kind of person who's excited about that kind of thing and wants to see the exact percent of the vote we got in Queensview Apartments in, in Astoria, uh, keep an eye out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, um, thanks so much to Aaron for joining us. Uh, thanks to everybody uh, for listening and following in the chat. And uh, always always good to hear uh, from from Aaron uh, and, and, and good to kind of get perspective, like I said, uh, on, on what's going on in this campaign. So uh, if you're listening live or on replay and you're on the app, uh, please be sure to follow, subscribe, like all that stuff uh, to the show and to me so that you can get updated when we go live. If you're listening uh, on syndication via Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts, uh, be sure to do whatever they call it on with those respective uh, uh, outlets. Uh, so that you can continue to get notified uh, when we go up, when we, when, we, when we post one of these episodes. So thanks to Aaron. Thanks to everybody for listening. Uh, and we will see you guys next week. Bye.